sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Hour number two, the morning after live right here on SportsGrid and Sirius XM Channel 159. That's the home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz Network, that's SportsGrid. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here live on this Tuesday on TMA. Week two of the National Football League season is now done. We'll set the stage later on in this second hour, taking a look at the early lines for week number three it's week number four of the college football season on the horizon and the saturday slate is tremendous a couple of battle of unbeatens including some unlikely schools you would expect to be undefeated in football at this time and a few out of the acc we'll look at some acc analysis later on in hour two and take an approach to what's happening with the number one overall seed in the afc last year the Tennessee Titans off to a winless 0-2 start. But we go around Major League Baseball because we are just a few days away from the month of October and a few weeks away from the end of this Major League Baseball regular season. But last night, courtesy of Max Scherzer, on the road in Milwaukee, the New York Mets have clinched the second playoff spot in the National League. A postseason berth for the Amazons here in 2022 and I mentioned Max Scherzer his return from the IL last night on the road in Milwaukee they were booked as a slight away underdog because Corbin Burns was getting the start on the other side for the Brew Crew but it's Max Scherzer and only 68 pitches a perfect game through six innings before he is taken out his first start back from the IL they are now a postseason team officially New York has much bigger things on the horizon but 68 pitches only yesterday for Scherzer and that included nine strikeouts against Milwaukee as the Mets win seven to two to clinch that postseason berth however it is just a postseason spot because the Mets and the Braves are still battling for that top spot in the National League East, both teams are going to be in at the moment, but it's figuring out who is going to win the division. The Mets are still the favorites with a one-game advantage at a minus 230 price. New York has won five straight. Atlanta has won four straight. When these teams play well, both teams play well. When one team struggles, the other team seems to follow suit. So this divisional race has still stayed very interesting at the moment. Atlanta, the second best price at plus 170 because the Braves yesterday, a victory as a heavy home favorite against the Washington Nationals. Kyle Wright out there on the bump for Atlanta. They get up on the scoreboard early and often. Kenley Jansen comes in, gets another save this year. They hold on for the 5-2 to two victory. The 18th victory this year for Kyle Wright so the Mets still the easiest schedule remaining in the National League the Braves have a harder schedule but not the hardest what will that margin look like in the National League East this is what I think the question is for that second to last series of the year in Atlanta between the Braves and the Mets because if it's within a game and a half 
that series is going to be incredibly interesting. If the Mets can work it in their favor to two or three games, this, no, this number at minus 230 is going to be substantially more in the favor of New York at that time. But that's the question. What is the lead going to be for the Mets in this division when they face off against one another, one another in Atlanta, the second-to-last series of this season? Hey, welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience here, the second hour of the morning after, live all across the grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, and all of our terrestrial radio affiliates now in the fold as well. I am Ben Stevens. The New York Mets have clinched a playoff spot in the National League. Max Scherzer was perfect through six innings and only 68 pitches last night on the road in his return from the injured list in Milwaukee. Pooled after six because, hey, the Mets have bigger things on the horizon, including at least some guaranteed postseason baseball. But the question is, will it be as the divisional champions in the National League East? The Mets a one-game lead still over the Atlanta Braves, yet a minus 230 price in the National League East. The American League West is done at the moment. We know who has won the division. It is the Houston Astros who have the best record not only in that division, but all of the American League. The Astros shutting out the Rays yesterday for nothing in Tampa. A big win for Houston and their pitching staff of Justin Verlander, who is the favorite to win the American League. Lance McCullers Jr., who is healthy now. You look at names across the board like Framer Valdez and Luis Garcia, who got the win yesterday. The Astros are a formidable side. It is the reason they are the favorites to win the American League at the moment. A plus 155 price, but only 45 cents ahead of the New York Yankees. So while the National League might seem more competitive right now, the Dodgers are blowing past everybody at the moment. The Dodgers have already won 102 games well above their win total. The American League is a little bit more difficult to handicap. It is that battle of the top two teams, the Yankees and the Astros. And in fact, this is very interesting. I'm seeing this for the first time live right now. The Astros have better odds to win the American League, but the Yankees in that new market that became available last week, the Yankees have better odds to reach the American League Championship Series at minus 185 than that of the Astros at minus 170. A very interesting number there, but both teams are heavily favored to make the ALCS, as we have thought all year. It would be a matchup between Houston and New York. Home field advantage, though, in favor of the Strohs. We take a look at the Tennessee Titans. What's not working so far up next? SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. There are always two sides to an NFL football game. There's good... And there's bad. Last night in Western New York at Orchard Park, the Buffalo Bills were very, very good. The Tennessee Titans, maybe not so good. We look at what is happening with the number one overall seed in the AFC from last year, now in 2022. Live right here on the morning after on this Tuesday on SportsGrid. Jill Jelnick joins us now, the sports director from Fox 17 in Nashville, to look at what is happening with the Tennessee Titans. Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on TMA. 
Yeah, appreciate you having me, Ben. Unfortunately, I wish we could be talking about all the great runs that Derrick Henry had and the big plays that the Titans made last night. But like you said, not very uh, great, not a great performance by the Tennessee Titans, unfortunately. So 41 to 7, the final score. The Bills victorious last night, covering as a 10-point favorite. So, Jill, as Tennessee Titans fans wake up on this Tuesday morning, what do you think they should take away from that game last night in Western New York? This is clearly not the same team as a year ago. I think Tennessee Titans fans should really take away two things, though, Ben. One, that the Buffalo Bills are the real deal. They're Super Bowl favorites for a reason, right? Let's remember that, okay? And then the other thing they need to take away is that this team, this Tennessee Titans team, you mentioned they were the number one seed of the AFC last year. This is a different team. This is a team without their star wideout, A.J. Brown. That was the biggest move in the offseason. And the Titans don't have a number one right wide receiver right now. Ryan Tannehill doesn't have a go-to. They have Derrick Henry, but Derrick Henry didn't have a large role in last night's game. Had a hard time getting going. Credit to the Bills' defense for completely shutting down the Titans' run game. But the yeah. biggest thing is this is a Tennessee Titans team with a lot of question marks. They didn't play barely any of their starters in the preseason. We weren't sure what was going to happen. Well, actually, we expected to win week one against the Giants, but unfortunately yeah. the Titans came out completely flat in the second half of that one. And tonight, last night for Monday Night Football, Titans have done well in the primetime spotlight the last several years. They've won three of their last four Monday Night Football games, including their game last year on Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills, where the Titans were underdogs. The Tennessee Titans have always thrived on being an underdog, too. They, they embrace that mentality, that back against the wall where no one, no one believes the Titans will win. Well, Titans have done well under that mentality, except last night they just didn't show up, period. And also, I think the, the talent gap between the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans last night was not just obvious, it was alarming. And Jill, I think it's a great point in terms of the evaluation right now of Tennessee. Booked as a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home week number one. The Giants win in Nashville, not covering that spread, of course. And even as a dog last night of double digits, not covering as a 10-point underdog on the road in Buffalo. And you highlighted the struggles of the run game last night for Tennessee. The King, Derrick Henry, a struggle last night. 13 carries, only 25 yards on the ground. Did score that opening touchdown for the Titans, but... As we learned from our associate producer, Jill, the stat man here, Joe Frizo, it was the least amount of rushing yards Derrick Henry has ever had in a game in his NFL career where he has carried the ball at least 10 times. The previous low was 57 yards. So what do the Tennessee Titans need to change on the ground to get Derrick Henry back to what we expect for the King? The Tennessee Titans are a run-first team. That is their identity, right? You run the ball to set up the pass. That is where they start their entire offense and they go from there. So obviously, when the run game isn't working, the whole offense is starting to struggle and stall, especially when you don't have a top wide receiver that is obvious on the team. What happened last night, first and foremost, give the Bills defense credit. They stopped Derrick Henry in his feet. They made him change his footwork. Derrick Henry thrives off of a one cut and go. Bill's defense completely swarmed him, as you mentioned, limited, limited him to just 25 yards. And Derrick Henry was either hit 
at or behind the line of scrimmage nearly almost carry last night. So Bills had a great game plan. They followed through. Derrick Henry was just not able to get that big one cut and go like he normally is. And then the game went out of hand, Ben, right? Because at that point, when you're in the third quarter, you're down 34-7, you're not running the ball. You're you're trying to get the big plays. You're, you need points. You need points right away. You can't afford to eat up that much time anymore. So the Tennessee Titans put themselves in a difficult situation situation, especially that first half, that second quarter, when the Bills started to gain some momentum, find an offensive rhythm. Titans did a nice job of of making them punt for the first time in a long time. Bills had only, the Bills hadn't even punted in four of their last six games. Titans make them punt. Guess what the Titans do? Muff the punt, give it right back. That's the other part of this game that I think is, is, important for Titans fans to realize, yes, the running game didn't get going. That's that's a huge concern, but the Titans completely shot themselves in the foot. Penalties, muffed punts, two interceptions, one for a pick six. At that point in the third quarter, the Titans waved the white flag and you saw Mike Vrabel take out his starters, take out starting quarterback Ryan Tannehill, bring in the rookie Malik Willis, and also take out several other starters as well. Their center, Derrick Henry, too. That At that point, I think it was so embarrassing that Mike Vrabel had no choice but to look ahead and keep the health of his starters in mind. That game was already gone in the third. So, Joe, let's quickly talk about the quarterback conversation maybe in Nashville. We did see Malik Willis last night. We saw Malik Willis, the rookie out of Liberty, look sensational at times in the preseason. Was last night just a case of the blowout theory, get some of your reserves in there? Or in your estimation, is there any chance we see Malik Willis start actual football games for the Titans this season? The answer to your question is, is that first one, Ben? No, there there is no controversy, quarterback controversy in Nashville right now. Mike Vrabel came in after the game and put it very clearly. He wanted to make sure that his starters came out and stayed healthy. At that point, he didn't want to risk any sort of major injury to anyone, including Ryan Tannehill. And Mike Vrabel also said he wanted to give the rookie, Malik Willis, some reps, give him some actual NFL game experience more than just the preseason. In, right, And he also gave a couple um, good looks to their rookie running back, Hassan Haskins, as well. So that was he was very uh, forthcoming with his intention and why he took out Tannehill, why he put it in Malik Willis. Um, Malik Willis is a very talented quarterback. He can do a lot of different things, especially move very well. So he's a fun player to watch, but he is still a rookie. And is from what the Titans staff tells us, he still has a long way to go in terms of being up to speed for an NFL game. So I don't imagine we see Malik Willis anytime soon. Ryan Tannehill, with no doubt, will start against the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. I think the bigger picture is the Titans need to figure out how to win again. That's what Coach Rabel said. He said, we got to get back to the drawing board, get back to work this week, figure out how to win, and then go from there. Only one team in the AFC South so far has won this year. That would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. So quickly here, Jill, only about 45 seconds left in this segment. We have seen the odds change on Tennessee, a nine and a half win total before the year, now down to seven and a half. They were favored to make the postseason, now much longer odds. What's the outlook like, in your opinion, for the rest of 2022 for Tennessee? 
I still think they win the division, Ben, and you said it. Only the Jacksonville Jaguars have a win so far. This is still an AFC South that is just not as talented, not as daunting as some of the other divisions. I think the Titans are able to pull off some good wins. They got the Colts coming up. They play the Colts twice in a, a very short span. I think that will give us a better idea, but I still think the Titans, with the talent they have, if they can figure it out, especially on offense, then they have a great chance of winning the division. All four teams in the division right now, a plus money price, something that Titans fans can feel hopeful about, taking advantage of a bad group of four. Jill Jelnick, the sports director at Fox 17 in Nashville. Thank you so much for your time and breaking down what's happening with Tennessee this morning. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. We go to the ACC, a huge week number four in college football, up next here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A huge Saturday slate awaits for week number four of the college football season here in 2022. And most of the huge implications this weekend happen in the ACC. So we go to North Carolina and Josh Graham. He joins us here now on the show on the morning after a host for WSJS Sports Radio down there in the triad in North Carolina to break down a huge weekend in the ACC. The insight and the analysis that only comes from the mind of Josh Graham. Josh, thank you so much for joining us back here on the morning after on this Tuesday. Jill Jelnick, an ECU softball player, your former classmate at East Carolina. Look at all that we're doing here on this Tuesday on TMA. Yes, they have a chant, Ben, at ECU where fans yeah. chant purple and then the other side says gold. So because we had Jill Jelnick on, I think you and I can get this into practice. Purple! Gold! Did we do it? There you go. See, it worked. But I'm on brand awesome. today. You're right. A lot of big games in the ACC this weekend. A lot of big games. In fact, Josh Graham, there's only four games this weekend that pit unbeaten team against unbeaten team. We'll get to the marquee matchup in a second, but I guess we should talk the best team in the ACC, or at least the favorite to win the conference at the moment. That would be number five, Clemson. Unbeaten, 3-0. and on the road in Winston-Salem against number 21, Wake Forest. Unbeaten, 3-0. And right now, Josh, the Tigers, a seven-and-a-half-point road favorite. How significant is this game for what will happen throughout the rest of the season within the conference? Well, really, Ben, I think it's a two-week stretch that you look at that will tell us a lot about where this conference is at and specifically the Atlantic Division because – Yes, you have Wake Forest playing Clemson this weekend, but next weekend you've got NC State going to Tigerland and Florida State playing Wake Forest. FSU off to a 3-0 and start as well. So I think when you start to try and figure out the picture in this division, which has been a lot more straightforward than the Coastal Division has been over the last decade or so, yes, this weekend's significant, but you got to look at it through this two-week prism and once we're through these two weeks, I think we'll have a really clear picture. Now, there are some big games after that. Obviously, NC State and Wake Forest will still have to play each other before the year is out. But those three games over the next two weeks, massive for the ACC picture. 
So let's go to that specific matchup in Winston-Salem on Saturday between the Deeks and the Tigers. A seven and a half point spread, Josh, in favor of Clemson on the road. Do you think that is a fair number as you start to break down this matchup? Fair because maybe 24 points wins this game, given how great Mm -hmm. the Tiger defense is and how Clemson's offense has been inconsistent, to put it lightly. But... When you consider the history of this series, eh, you might be surprised to see seven and a half there, considering every game over the last 11 years in this series has been decided by at least two touchdowns in Clemson's favor. But something to remember about it, Dabo Sweeney is not the coach of the Clemson Tigers, if not for a loss to Wake Forest 14 years ago. It was the final game of Coach Bowden there who decided to resign after a Thursday night loss to Wake Forest in Winston-Salem that allowed in October for Dabo to take over as a wide receivers coach, not even a coordinator, become the head coach, the interim coach. And he did enough. He had enough runway to prove to to the AD at the time he's the guy to have the interim tag removed, be the leader of this program moving forward, that we see this national championship dynastic program that it's become. So Wake Forest and Clemson, a lot of ties historically, but since Dabo's been there, he hasn't lost to uh, Wake Forest. And when you talk about that number, a lot of those games haven't really been that close. Josh, I'm very intrigued by the quarterback matchup that we will see on Saturday between Wake Forest and Clemson. Of course, DJ Uyunglele has been inconsistent, as you said, to say the least, to start off this season. His odds to win a Heisman Trophy, 80 to 1. Sam Hartman is back, and Sam Hartman is back in a big way for Wake. But 150 to 1 to win the Heisman Trophy at this current point. From that spotlight under center, Josh Graham, who do you think has the edge at the quarterback position on Saturday? It's clearly Sam. Even though he had a rough game last week, he's still getting back into the fold after having a month absence due to blood clots he was dealing with. They're just fortunate to have him back. The numbers was, were really good against Vanderbilt, where he threw for mm-hmm. 300 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions in the pouring rain in Nashville. Well, you, it's easy to look at this game or last week and think that maybe there was some look-ahead factor with Wake Forest getting set for Clemson this week. I buy that a little bit. They run a little bit of a niche offense, maybe a lot of it, considering – not anybody else in college football run this mesh point where you keep the ball in the running back's belly as long as Wake Forest does. Clemson's just been a team that has the, the personnel. They can blow up the line of scrimmage, and it doesn't really matter where the ball is at that point if you have nowhere to go with it. Uh, the matchup edge goes to Sam, but that's not saying a heck of a lot considering DJ Uwe Ungadale is probably – not going to be the guy by the end of the season if Cade Klubnick comes on the way he has. So that's the focus for Clemson right now. We all expected the defense to be as great as they are, and they've lived up to that billing. But the inconsistencies last year offensively for Clemson, at least through three weeks, remain. However, the Tigers still minus 165 to win the conference crown for the seventh time in the last eight years. They have the fourth best odds to make the college football playoff and also the fourth best price to win the national championship. So at this point, Josh, entering this huge week four matchup against Wake Forest, how do you evaluate Clemson? Clemson is the odds-on favorite to win this 
conference, and it should be even more lopsided than that. I don't see, given the depth they have on defense and where the NC State game is going to be next week and the history I just outlined with Wake Forest, where Clemson loses a conference game. And if they run the table, obviously they'll end up in the college football playoff. Miami wasn't all that impressive last week. Even if they have Xavier Restrepo, who'd missed that game, they don't have a lot of proven skill talent on the perimeter. Mario Cristobal was 7-5 and five last year. and Or, excuse me, Miami was 7-5 and five before Cristobal took the job. I still think they have a lot of room to grow before you really start seeing the U being back, so to speak, uh, if they ever come back at all. Clemson, this is Clemson's conference to win. I don't think that's changed even though the offense has made them a little bit more vulnerable than they were in the Kelly Bryant, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence years. I'm looking for one upset spot on Clemson's schedule right now. I see it the second to last Saturday in October against my Syracuse Orange, the unbeaten SU team in a perfect 3-0 this year. And Josh Graham, that's been a story so far in this college football season. Traditional basketball schools that have been very good at football. Syracuse is unbeaten. Kentucky is a top 10 team and unbeaten. Indiana unbeaten. And how about Duke in Kansas? Two of the bluest bloods on the hardwood, both a perfect 3-0 facing off against one another in Lawrence on Saturday afternoon. The Jayhawks, Josh, a seven and a half point favorite. But can you believe this is an undefeated battle between Duke and Kansas? See, when you look at season win totals, the two ACC teams that were left for dead in the preseason were Georgia Tech and Duke. If I'm not mistaken, yep. Duke's season win total preseason was three, and they're at it through three games. And when you look at their schedule, Ben, yes, you got Kansas, which, of course, is a winnable game despite them being a touchdown-plus underdog. But beyond that, you're, you, you're then playing like the Georgia Techs of the world and – you got Boston College still up on that schedule? Well, I'm looking at it. Mike Elko, who, by the way, used to be a Dave Clawson assistant for a very long time at Wake Forest before becoming Notre Dame's D.C. and becoming Jimbo Fisher's D.C. at Texas A&M before taking the job at Durham. This is his first head coaching job. He's done an outstanding job. And my favorite thing about what he's instilled in this program, when they win, they have what's described as a winner dinner on Sunday nights where the entire team at the facility gets Alaskan steamed crabs. And Ooh. I bet you Duke agreed to that thinking, you know what, win three games, maybe four games. That's not a lot of steamed crabs. Well, here you are, three games, three wins, three winner dinners. We'll see if they can make it four in Kansas this weekend. Some of the lowest win totals on the board. Duke, Georgia Tech, Syracuse was at three and a half, although the over heavily juiced. Kansas was two and a half, Josh Graham. They're already over that. <laughs> Vandy was two and a half. They're already over that, far exceeding expectations. Here's a really good one that features an ACC team this weekend. In Chapel Hill, Josh Graham, North Carolina, pick them right now against Notre Dame. No spread available, minus 110 on the money line for both teams. Only about 45 seconds left here, Josh. So your quick breakdown of this matchup between the Irish and the Heels. Something's got to give. Notre Dame can't score offensively with a third-string or a second-string quarterback. And North Carolina, 
allowed 28 to Georgia State, 61 in a win against App State, 24 to FAMU and HBCU. Something's got to give. Josh Downs, probably going to be back to the Tar Heels. Antoine Green, another receiver back. I I think North Carolina deserves the edge because they're at home, but something's got to give with those two. 58 and a half is that total. North Carolina was Josh Graham's pick to win the Coastal. The only man brave enough to do that last year to pick Pittsburgh. So we trust in Josh Graham. Josh, thank you as always for your ACC analysis. Appreciate it, guys. We will talk again very, very soon. We take an early look at the Lions for NFL week number three. Up next here on TMA. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You see, the really great thing about NFL football is we never have to go all that long without it. Really just two days at any point throughout the week until February because we had two Monday night football games last night. We have two days off today and tomorrow, Wednesday. And then football returns for week number three on Thursday. It is a beautiful thing when you have this much football at this time of the year. And it's never too early then to take a look at week number three of this National Football League regular season because on Thursday night, an AFC North showdown, no love lost between these two teams in Cleveland, Ohio, the Browns and the Steelers. To help us look at that game on Thursday night and the rest of the week three slate, Shannon Somerville joins us here on the morning after. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us once again on TMA. Excited to break down week number three and the early look at the odds here for the NFL season. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it, Ben. Here we go. We had a doubleheader yesterday. We got two days off, but we're ready to go for Thursday night matchup here. So the Browns are a five and a half point favorite, Shannon. And sure, that's pretty substantial. They're at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers team, a divisional matchup. And we've seen Pittsburgh be good as an underdog already in divisional games. But my attention, of course, goes to that very small over under. The total is booked right now at 38 and a half. Yes, it is a short week. Yes, we have seen the under in both of the opening two Thursday night games so far this season. But 38 and a half, Shannon, says to me there's going to be very little points. What does it say to you? Well, it says they've watched the Steelers play on offense. They just have been absolutely anemic on offense. There's a reason that fans in Pittsburgh are already calling for Kenny Pickett. Quite frankly, Mitch Trubisky just hasn't been getting it done on the offensive side of the ball. And he seems afraid to take shots down the field, especially unfortunate when he's got some pretty good receivers, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, go dogs in there. But you have these great receivers, and for whatever reason, he just seems hesitant to throw the ball down the field instead opting for a lot of checkdowns. And you saw that to their detriment, especially against the Patriots, where really they could have won that game had they taken some more shots down the field. Whether that's more Mitch Trubisky being kind of hesitant to throw or whether that's a part of the offensive game plan with Matt Canada, I'm not quite sure. 
Either way, I don't see them putting up a ton of points in this one. The only way I could see that going over is if the Browns just have a monster game after being embarrassed by the Jets and they just kind of lean on Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb to kind of take over that game, which they very well could. The only apprehension I really have in this game is that elf, the creepy elf that is painted on the field at the Browns. I just feel like it's bringing (laughs) some bad luck to Cleveland right now. Brownie the Elf now 0-1 as the midfield logo in Cleveland. And, of course, the Browns were up by nearly two touchdowns, 30-17, to under two minutes left before Joe Flacco and Gang Green. The Jets come back to win 31-30. to The Steelers' offensive line also a slight concern this year. And Miles Garrett off to a great start, tied as the co-favorite with Micah Parsons at 4-1 to to win defensive player of the year. But, Shannon, because of the Browns on Sunday because the Steelers barely scored against the Pats because the Ravens had a historic comeback against them as well. And the Bengals failed to respond on the road in Dallas. My point being all four teams in the AFC North lost week number two. The Ravens remain the favorites, Shannon. How do you see this division now following two weeks in this National Football League season? Yeah, I mean... Nobody wants to win a game, and it seems like it's up for grabs, although it kind of was up for grabs a little bit last season, too. You kind of had these teams. It felt like it was a game of uh, Mario Kart where they were just kind of like, you know, beating each other, and by the end it was the Bengals who emerged. In this one, I'm kind of leaning towards the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. He just is a man on a mission right now, quite frankly. I do worry about their defense, and they just don't look like, the Ravens defense that we all grew up with, but I do have some faith in Lamar Jackson. He's trying to get that bag. So uh, my money's on Lamar and the Ravens in this one. Yeah. That secondary was the worst in football a season ago. They got healthier. They added to it and still gave up 469 passing yards to Tua Tungavailoa and the Miami Dolphins, who stormed back to win week number two. But the Ravens, so the favorites at plus 105. A really good defense, Shannon, so far this season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs have allowed one touchdown and also scored one touchdown so far through two games. And it's a matchup's of the old guard at the quarterback position on Sunday in Tampa Bay. Two number 12s, Tom Brady on one side against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers on the other. The Bucks, Shannon, a two and a half point favorite, a short spread. What is your approach to this matchup? Well, I know all the attention is going to be Brady versus Rodgers. There's also going to be a lot of attention on the wide receivers for the Bucks. We know that Mike Evans is out in this one as for Chris Godwin. And Julio Jones, not sure what their availability will be in this one. But what I want to draw your attention to in this one is the Bucks' offensive line is extremely battered right now. They had one guy go down in the game against the Saints. So by the end of the game, they had three offensive linemen for the Bucks that had a combined experience of six starts between them. So keep an eye on that because going up against that offensive line will be three players on the Packers who are among the top seven linebackers and D linemen in the league in terms of percentage of pass rush snaps resulting in pressure. Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, keep an eye on those guys in this matchup. And I think if they can generate the kind of pressure uh, that we can see from um, the Packers defense against Tom Brady, that could be the edge in this particular game so definitely keep an eye on that 
Shannon, a great point because for most of our lives, if you would have said Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, we would have booked the total at least into the 50s, thinking points, points, and more points. This one is 41 and a half, maybe showing that defense leads the way for both the Packers and the Bucks this year. Green Bay only allowing seven at home on Sunday night to the Chicago Bears. And as we got this stat from our associate producer, Joe Frizo, Aaron Rodgers against the Buccaneers, the only NFC team he has a losing record against. He is two and three against the Bucs in his two decades in the National Football League. So two of the three best odds here, Shannon, as well, to win the NFC. The Buccaneers remain the favorites. The Eagles have shot up this board, but tied for the second best price with the Green Bay Packers at 5-1. to one. As you look around the NFC right now, Shannon, where do you think the value currently lies? Oh, I'm really liking those Eagles right now after yesterday's game. Jalen Hurts looks incredible. Talked a little bit about this last week when I was on the show. Now that he has those weapons, we're really seeing what he's actually capable of. It just seems like now the pieces are around him for the Eagles to really succeed and against the Vikings team last night that we saw him that was a big test for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and I've already seen some on social media kind of predicting is this going to be Bills and an Eagles Super Bowl so I definitely am really liking the Eagles I think they're kind of for real especially when you consider that the Cowboys their path isn't as difficult as maybe some others especially when you've got a Dak Prescottless Cowboys team that they're going to have to face and are going to get to face there. So I'm liking the Eagles. I don't know. It's a great point as well. The Eagles entered the year with the second easiest schedule based on win projections. And now Philly minus 200 to win the NFC East. It would say that their odds are really good to win the division, setting up a very positive postseason path for Philadelphia. The reigning Super Bowl champs, though, still the fourth best odds in the NFC, the Los Angeles Rams, plus 650. But the Rams have opened up at home in their first two games, haven't covered in either, losing the opening game of the year to the Bills. First time on the road this year, Shannon, for LA. They're a four-point road favorite against the Arizona Cardinals. How do you break down this NFC West divisional matchup? Right. The Rams, as you mentioned, haven't covered in their first two games. You know, in the, they had a tough test in the first game against the Bills. And then they looked great against the Falcons, but seemed to just hit the snooze button in the second half. Jalen Ramsey bailed them out with that interception at the end to seal the game. So they held off a surging Falcons in the second half of that, that game. What I'm looking at, though, in this one is Sean McVay. He is 10-1. and one against the Cardinals in his tenure as head coach of the Rams. He basically owns Cliff Kingsbury in this one. So I am leaning towards the Rams in this one. I just think when you look at these teams, I'm looking at the firepower that each one has. Cardinals still without DeAndre Hopkins. So I'm leaning towards the playmakers of the Rams, specifically Cooper Cup. We also saw Matt, Matt Stafford get more of a connection with Allen Robinson, which will was what we were waiting to see with him. Now, Matt Stafford prone to some picks. He had two in that game against the Falcons. What I've always appreciated, though, about Matt Stafford is his fearlessness at just going out there and slinging the ball and making those big plays happen. And if he does and he can hook up with Cooper Cup, I definitely see the Rams uh, getting this one and hopefully getting covering the spread for the first time this season. We'll stay in the NFC West for a big game on Sunday night football, a reunion of some quarterbacks that know each other well because 
Jimmy Garoppolo will now be the starter in San Francisco the rest of this season. A one-point favorite on the road in the Mile High City against Russell Wilson, now starting for the Denver Broncos. Shannon, as you look at the Niners, how do you evaluate San Francisco now that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the quarterback the rest of the way? Yeah, what's so interesting about this game is even though there's been a change at quarterback, Trey Lance has gone for the year, Jimmy G is now your guy, the line hasn't really moved. In fact, people are predicting that the 49ers might end up being more of a favorite this one. The money might go more towards the 49ers in this one. And I'm kind of with them. They have shown much more consistency than this Denver Broncos offense that just seems totally out of sync. Nathaniel Hackett once again criticized for some of his decision-making. Russell Wilson just seems really out of sync. The play calling just kind of inexplicable. Really, they should just be handing it to Javante Williams instead. They just, Russell Wilson just doesn't seem to have that connection yet with this offense. So, I really like the 49ers in this one, especially given the fact that Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, they just seem really out of sync. I mean, they barely got through that game against the Texans in this one. And in that game, uh, Wilson only completed 14 of 31 passes, 66.5 passer rating in that one. Although I do have to note that he does have a 16 and four record against the 49ers as a Seahawk because he was that NFC West leader for many, many years. The NFC West, a very intriguing division this season. It is interesting, Shannon, to allude to your point about the market and how it's been reflected since Jimmy Garoppolo became the starter following the injury to Trey Lance. Normally, when you lose your starting quarterback, number one, your market and your odds would move. That has not been the case for the Niners. They still have the second-best price in the NFC West, and their win total before the year was 9.5. The over had the juice. Their win total still with Jimmy Garoppolo and that smiling, handsome face is still 9.5, and the over has the juice. Shannon Somerville, a sports betting host with LineStar, joining us here on this Tuesday on the morning after. Shannon, thanks so much. Thanks, Ben. We will talk again very, very soon. Up next here on the morning after, we round out the show with the best bet. Stay with us. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We are live back right here on the morning after on this Tuesday all across the grid. Sirius XM channel 159. It's the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM all across the Spiz Grizz Network. That is Sports Grid. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Tuesday following week number two of the National Football League regular season setting the stage for week Number three, and the great thing about betting on football is it doesn't just have to be an individual game, a spread, a side, a total, a prop. The markets update following outcomes throughout each and every week in the National Football League, where you get a stronger sample size to even further your handicaps from where they were in the preseason or the offseason, now in the regular season. And I can't believe I'm about to say the words I'm going to say but I have some faith in the Jacksonville Jaguars. So before we say goodbye, and before we say farewell here on this Tuesday, it's time for an updated NFL win total best bet. It's time for bye-bye-bye. 
The Jacksonville Jaguars are the only team right now in the AFC South with a win this year. The Jacksonville Jaguars sit atop the division. And we talked about something on last week's show, and we recapped it on Monday. Duval County being a house of horrors for the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts have not won in Jacksonville now in eight straight matchups. But it's more so what Jacksonville does against the rest of the AFC South, which apparently this year is not very good. They have a 52.2 cover percentage within the division throughout the last eight years because we look back at the 2014 season, the last time Indy won on the road in Jacksonville. Pretty much my point being, the AFC South stinks. The Jags are the only team with a win, and their updated win total is still just six and a half. It was the number before the year got underway. Let me take the over. On Jacksonville. Yeah, I can't believe I'm saying those exact words. Thank you for joining us here on the morning after on this Tuesday. We're back tomorrow on a Wednesday starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time. We'll talk then.